Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Show, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barnes. I'm Scarlett Fu. And I'm Damien Sassauer. Coming up, we talk some basketball with NBA training camp opening up. We catch up with the Boston Celtics lead owner and governor, Wick Grosbeck, from the Greenwich Economic Forum. I'm certainly not Red Auerbach, and that's not what I'm trying to say. But being inspired by the 16 championships he won. Uh, and having our 17th championship that we won then five or six years later, a year after he died, his, we've engraved his signature on the inside of our rings so that he's involved in all 17. Our conversation with Grossbeck is on the way on the Bloomberg Business of Sports. But first, the MLB playoffs, they are getting started. And while playoff teams are still chasing their World Series dreams, a lot of storied franchises are actually not in the postseason this year. I'm thinking of some hometown teams. Hmm. I'm thinking of like the Yankees, the Cardinals. The San Francisco Giants. Oh, and for those squads, the focus shifts to the offseason and building a winner for next year. I'm thinking Shohei Otani. Yeah, Larry Bear is the president and CEO of the San Francisco Giants. He's focusing not only on improving his team, but the entire San Francisco area salute as chair of Advance SF. And he is here now to tell us more. Larry, welcome to the Bloomberg Business of Sports. It's a pleasure. Great speaking with the three of you and uh, look forward to getting into some fun topics. Well, let's start with the fun topic. One thing about the San Francisco Giants that you guys are always happy to promote the San Francisco area and and help that area and the Bay Area. Tell us about that, because you guys are a very important cog there. Well, yeah, I mean, they, you know, when it, when it comes down to it, I think, you know, we're the San Francisco Giants, just like, uh, you know, in New York, it's the New York Mets and the New York Yankees, et cetera, and all the, all the different teams in the different leagues. And I think first and foremost, you know, the name on the front of your uniform is important. And as we've gone through the pandemic, uh, as we've gone through, you know, people getting back to work, et cetera, it's been challenges out there. And I think that the Giants, like teams in other communities, are really front and center in helping bring back a community, both spiritually and, and also, you know, physically with getting people the games and getting the communal experience. And we had two and a half million people join us this year for uh, for our season. We felt just short of the playoffs, which was disappointing, but uh, but also had um, had really good fan support uh, have through the 25 years now, 24 years uh, so far, and 25th year coming up of our uh, ballpark. So I'm, I'm curious, Larry, from where you sit, the role of sports teams and sports franchises in uh, revitalizing San Francisco, not just the Giants, but I think about the Golden State Warriors as well. And of course, the storied 49ers, which are San Francisco in name, but don't play anywhere near the city. How critical are sports teams and sports franchises to the city's identity and the city's ability to not reinvent itself, but certainly recover from what's been a tough couple of years? Scarlett, I think it's, it's, it's really vital because, 
I think in life, you know, you look for sort of, uh, you know, gathering points for, for people communal and for communal experiences. And, you know, and, and technology is such that, you know, the movie theaters and some of the some of the some of the other experiences are, are different. Right. Because of technology. But uh, but ballparks are ballparks. And uh, I have friends that say, you know, the Oracle Park, our ballpark, or, you know, is my summer home. It's where I go. It's where I spend time with my children or with my parents or with my friends from work or my friends in life. And I think that, you know, there, it, it's hard to put a dollar value on it, but it's, it's really a significant psychic value for, for a community. And baseball, I think, is different than the other sports when you think about it. 162 games, uh, it's played during the summer when people are out from school and out of uh, take, uh, work vacations. It's also played often during the day, especially on weekends. So, uh, so it's a different experience. And I think we, we need to celebrate that. And, you know, attendance was really strong this year in baseball, uh, way up almost 10% and, uh, to 70 million fans. Well, Larry, let's talk about the season. I mean, you know, the end of the season, I mean, Brandon Crawford may be retiring. I mean, a 13-year career with San Francisco, two World Series rings. I mean, now, you know, Gabe Kepler, um, you know, you're going to be in the market for a new manager. Free agency's kicking up. Shohei Otani's out there. Now, I know San Francisco doesn't like to, you know, build from outside, but talk to us about, and I know, you know, ba- you know base- baseball operations are a little bit different, but what's the vibe inside uh, the team? You know, what are you thinking? I mean, is it exciting? I mean, I mean, what's the future lie in store? Well, it's a, it's a great question. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts, right? And, and that comes with every franchise that's been successful. Uh, and, you know, we have the three championships um, in the, in the past decade, three world series championships. And, and uh, the last player from that, those championship years, um, played uh, the game Sunday and you know Brandon hasn't determined whether he's retiring or and we don't know what the future is but but um, you know he was given a you know a rousing uh, you know farewell perhaps I don't know for sure uh, but uh, you know that's maybe how the fans felt so it's certainly we're turning a page the organization's turning a page from those championship years we've been you know in the hunt for pretty much every year afterwards but have not gotten back to the World Series since 2014. So uh, that's what we want to do, and that's what we are focused on, and we're going to make a manager's managerial change. We announced uh, just a few days ago uh, that. And um, and so, yeah, it's a time to reboot. It happens in professional sports uh, all the time. It's inevitable. And uh, we're very proud of the fact our group came in 31 years ago, believe it or not. Yeah. So we've, 1993 was our first year, first season. In that period, uh, you know, we pride ourselves on consistency. We've had just kind of what we were talking about before. We want to be sort of a pillar in the community. We've had four managers in 31 years: mm-hmm. Dusty Baker, Felipe Alou, Bruce Bochy, and Gabe Kapler. So, uh, so pretty consistent. So the next person we get, maybe you know, he or she will be around for a decade or more. That's what we hope. We're talking with Larry Bear, president and CEO of the San Francisco Giants, and you scare me because now I'm giving away a big part of my old-time age. You said the stadium is 25 years old, (laughs) and I remember when it had that new car smell when I visited there, and I saw Barry Bonds knock two in the splash meter, ring it up, and uh, do you guys still got the splash meter, by the way? We do. It's a, there are 102 splash hits. 
Uh, Barry's funny. You know, he sits with us at games often, and um, I think so. Barry retired in 2007. It was his last year. So think about that. At that point, and I I won't be exact, but this is pretty close. I think at that point we had 72, maybe 71 splash hits. Uh, And so here we are 15 years later, and we've had 30. So so we had, uh, you had like, you know, 70 in eight years, and now we've had another 15 or so, or uh, 30 or so, I guess, in, uh, you know, in a decade and a half. And Barry will tell you that uh, you shouldn't even have an electronic says When somebody, he told me one day, when somebody hits one in the water, then you can just, you know, paint it back on because it's, it's so infrequent <laughs> versus, uh, versus when he was hitting them. It's amazing. So of the 70, well, of the 102, I think Barry hit 35, something like that. Wow. <laughs> I've watched well, my were... fair share of Giants games, having uh, been married to yeah. a Giants diehard fan for decades now. And I can picture all of this, uh, Michael Barnes, <laughs> describe it. Um, you married into the family. I married into the family. Congratulations. Yes, that's right. I knew it when it was Pac, uh, Pac Bell Park yes. and everything. Um, you mentioned how it's been a pretty incredible season. Baseball just seems to have found a new life with the new rules in place, and fans have rediscovered the game. How does this set up the sport and how does this set up the team for you in the next couple of years? What kind of plans can you move forward with now that there's excitement? And and it's not to say that there wasn't excitement before, but there you want to build on this positive momentum that you did get this year. Yeah, and and I we do and I think for the sport in general and then I think the the new rules that you mentioned uh, you know, also inform perhaps a little bit different way to construct rosters. So, you know, the shifts have been banned. So you can, well, you can shade players to to various parts of the infield. Uh, you know, you you still are going to have a better chance to get a base hit uh, than you did previously because you'd have the, the you know three infielders say stacked to the uh, right side of the diamond against left hand here so so it's going to be you know it's going to put a premium on contact as you know stolen bases are up this year because the the uh, actually the uh, bases themselves are larger so there's a more more opportunity to steal a base and also the uh, the pitchers are limited in number of times they can throw over to first base so you've just got a, a kind of a, a I think there's more a premium on more athletic players so the way you put together the roster has changed and I think teams that are in the playoffs now uh, you find there's a lot more base stealers and a lot more action that way so that's good for the game I think it also informs how you put together the team we're we're focused on it we're a lot of the teams they're currently in the playoffs, you know, have younger players that have excelled, uh, you know, so I, so I think it's, it makes for a lot of excitement. We're, we're very bullish on the game itself and uh, where it's going and attendance is up around the league. So, uh, so you know, it's a, uh, the trend lines are pointing up. Larry, you're president and CEO of the San Francisco Giants, but you're also chairman and CEO of Giants Development Services, which is responsible for Mission Rock, the new waterfront neighborhood that's being constructed um, across from Oracle Park. And, you know, Scarlett, you may not know this, but, you know, Larry's the one who convinced Visa to relocate their headquarters from Purchase, New York, which is up by us, to San Francisco. Oh, I did yeah. not realize that. Yeah, I'm not really happy about that. But anyway, Larry, thanks for that. And and look, I mean, talk to us a little bit about Mission Rock. Talk to us about the re- Tell the restaurants, the public amenities. You know, talk to us about the impact that's going to have on the team. Sure. So, um, you know, so w- when we were uh, building the park, and then had, once the park was built. 
24 years ago, we kind of looked around and we found that a lot of, of companies were really interested in locating down in this part of downtown San Francisco. It's it's away from the traditional center of, of downtown. And then we found that people like to live there because it's proximity to the water, it's proximity to Silicon Valley, you just jump on the freeway that's right there, and you can get to Silicon Valley, uh, and it's just a, it's just, and the good weather. It's just a really convenient, cool place to live. So, so we said, okay, how can we help contribute to the area around the ballpark? And and the one way was to take our parking lot, which was a surface lot where everybody parked. And, you know, and, and create value there for not just for the investors of the team, but create value for the community. There's a big need for affordable housing here, as you've probably read about in, in throughout California and much of the country. And so what we did is we put together a plan that had 40 percent for affordable housing with residential rental units. We were able to get visa and uh, and we'll, and we're talking to a number of other companies with for other buildings, uh, you know, to, to to come into the community and then to have a beautiful uh, new set of parks where people can watch, you can picnic before or after a game or just in their own in this neighborhood, uh, more open space. So it's a uh, you know it's it's a kind of multi layered plan that's going to be built out over next seven years. We have four buildings opening this coming year in 2024, and uh, we're really excited, including Visa's headquarters and also two residential buildings, uh, which will, will help in the affordable housing crunch in San Francisco, because it's been, uh, as, as you know, uh, there's just not enough housing here. And uh, so we're, we're really excited about all that. And if we can play a role in that and also pre- present a really cool and upgraded front door to the ballpark, um, we, we see it as win-win-win. Speaking of a picnic, that's what this conversation was. Larry Bear, <laughs> oh my goodness, president, CEO of the San Francisco Giants. Thank you, sir, for talking with us on the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Thank you, Michael. It's great talking to you guys, and I uh, hope to see you in San Francisco soon. Yeah! Good luck Good luck this offseason. <laughs> okay, pretty much appreciated. Take care. That's Larry Bear, president and CEO of the San Francisco Giants, as well as chair of Advance SF. Up next on the show, we shift to basketball and speak with Boston Celtics lead owner, Wick Grosbeck, straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports and Bloomberg Radio around the world. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank. Because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. 
They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Show, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr, along with Scarlett Fu and Damian Sassauer. We saw a couple of big moves in the last couple of weeks in the NBA. Yeah, yeah, we did, didn't we? Huh? Longtime Portland Trailblazer Damian Lillard traded to the Bucks and Drew Holiday. First winding up with the Trailblazers, but then eventually landing in Boston with the Celtics. It's actually the latest in a series of moves by the Celtics who have a new look heading into the season. Here's Celtics star Jason Tatum at the team's media day talking about how he feels with a new partner in the backcourt. Excited about Drew, one of the most well-respected guys in the league. Um, you know, great talent on both ends. Champion, we won a gold medal together. Happy to have him. Talking about the Tatum and his team bringing in Drew Holiday. So with a big year ahead for the Celtics and the league, we got the opportunity to check in with Wick Grosbeck earlier this week. He is the lead owner and governor of the Boston Celtics and was at the Greenwich Economic Forum along with our buddy Damian Sassauer to talk about the league, his team, and more. And boy, Damian, you fleshed something out I had no clue about. Michael, he was amazing. You know, I showed up about 30 minutes early for our interview and so did he. So we we had quite a bit of time together. <laughs> um, you know, but no, I mean, we talked about the team, obviously, the state of the NBA. You know, the media rights are going to be coming on the market pretty soon. We also talked about, interestingly enough, his wife and some of the things that they've been doing together, Sincoro Tequila, for example. Mm, let's take a listen to that conversation. First of all, the Boston Celtics. Uh, you guys added uh, Drew Holiday in a trade with the Portland Trailblazers. I know it's not much business here, but I'm just a sports nut. What do you? What is this going to do for the franchise, sir? Well, we are trying to take this all the way to Banner 18. Um, we've got some fierce competitors, including one of my really best friends, Wes Edens, who's the lead owner of the Bucks. <laughs> we made a, a move a few days before, um, and we're just trying to keep up. I'm just trying to keep up with my buddy. <laughs> and uh, try to cause them some trouble, but we're trying to we're trying to do what the Celtic being Celtics owner really demands. And I have a group of owners with me, which is uh, you know fulfill the dreams of the Celtics fan base, Celtic pride. You know, do things right. And so we're trying to take this all the way. As a team owner, how much attention do you pay to the valuations that uh, media companies publish on your team on other teams? Sportico, for instance, in late 2022, has the Boston Celtics valued at. $3.92 billion, up 14% from a year ago. Do you look at that carefully? Do other owners look at that carefully? I'd be, I, I wouldn't be telling the truth if I didn't say we, you know, we all know what Sportico uh, and Forbes publish. Um, we also see one or two transactions a year, generally. Uh, the Phoenix Suns and the Charlotte Hornets just were sold in the last 12 months. And so we know what those numbers are. It's hard to ignore them, but um, it doesn't mean they dominate uh, your thinking because once you're in one of these teams, you don't really ever want to get out. 
Well, Wick, I mean, let's talk about, you know, what the NBA is doing right. I mean, we've got a meteorite rights deal that's going to be, you know, coming up in the next, I mean, year or two. I mean, talk to us a little bit about that, because that could really, really, you know, just generate a lot more revenue, not just for the Celtics franchise, but for the league as well. Yes, thank you. Uh, we are, I'm on the media committee of the NBA, so I'm sort of uh, neck deep in that. Um, the as we all know, and all the listeners probably know, the media landscape is really in turmoil and in flux. It seems to be going to streaming from the old legacy model of linear TV. And so we're in a, a, maybe a tr beginning of a transition period. Now, we don't really know how these relationships, these uh, negotiations will go. We know we have great relations with our current partners and we have streamers who are also interested. Um, that NBA is a global sport. It's got a ways to go, particularly internationally, I think, growing. And I think streaming facilitates that. So we'll have to play this out over the next year. But we're really optimistic and appreciative of, um, you know, uh, the interest that we've had in our media rights. Well, just to follow up on that, Wick, um, when it comes to valuations of individual team franchises and those media rights, it's clear that the latest media rights deal is got to be the biggest factor in that valuation equation. But I'm curious as to how much you think it is a factor. Is it 30% of the total valuation, 70%? Is it a different proportion for an established league like the NBA versus a younger league like, let's just say, the NWSL? Right. Um, you know, our media rights are probably, I think they're about 40%, 30, 30% or 40% of our revenues, somewhere in that range, when you add up our local, international and international um, but I'd like to just say this, and maybe it's a little bit provocative, but I think the high bidders for these teams generally are people that want to be competitors on the world stage and want to sort of take assets they've already accumulated elsewhere and put some of them into having the time of their lives owning a team and doing good in the community. And I'll just take Steve Ballmer as an example. I don't want to speak for Steve, but he's a good friend, you know, and he made at the time, I think $22 billion from Microsoft and he put 2 billion into the Clippers. He didn't care if, I don't think if they made money or lost money, he wanted to win a championship. And so I wouldn't, I wouldn't tie it to, you know, it, this is not whether or not you invest in uh, the S&P 500 or a sports team. It's whether you're able to get a hold of something that's going to be the time of your life. I want to expand more what you said, because this is a, developing global game, which means that, yes, we, we have the media rights here in the United States, but I want to talk about going all around the world where if I want to sit down and watch the players in China play ball, how long would it take to get all the media rights squared away for us to see something like that? Well, the NBA, uh, we're not watching over there as much. We all scout the European teams and so on, but it's not really on our on our screens or on our desktops necessarily, but the NBA is already in 210 countries around the world being streamed or shown one way or another all throughout Asia, uh, the Middle East and Europe uh, and Africa. We have an NBA Africa League, as a matter of fact, that we started as a side note. Um, but so it's already internationally distributed, but is it top of mind for everybody? No. Do we think we can get it to be top of mind for more and more people? Yes. Uh, it's Close to 40% of current NBA own, uh, players are uh, internationally, uh, were born internationally. So uh, we're an international sport and we, we, we're optimistic about our growth in the future. Wick, he had bought the Celtics at age 41 for just $200 million in 2002. Now, you know, 
I'd love to talk to you about the Celtics, but I'm a Knicks fan, so I'm not going to go there. But Sincoro Tequila? I mean, you own the company with Michael Jordan, with Jeannie Buss, the Lakers, Jeannie Buss. Wick, tell us how this happened. Tell us about some of the other things you do in your spare time. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Damien, uh, for asking. We we had a dinner. I brought my uh, fiance at the time to meet some of my good friends, and that's Jeannie Buss and Michael Jordan, and then Wes Edens, who owns the Bucks and, and from Fortress Investments. And uh, the five of us went out to dinner. And by the time, first thing you know, Michael is pouring high-end tequila, which he loves. And it went on till two in the morning or, or more. And then we had another one because why not have another one of those dinners? And by the end of the second one, we decided the five of us to start a tequila. So Cinco stands for five and Oro stands for gold. And we've sold two million bottles. My wife has been a, was the founding CEO and is now the chair um, my wife, Amelia Fazolari, who's a Bloomberg alum for 23 years, mind you, um, and uh, really loves the place. Um, and and so uh, she's won 23 gold medals with it. Um, and we're maybe going to take that international at some point. We're really excited about Sincoro. That's Boston Celtics lead owner Wick Grossbeck from the Greenwich Economic Forum. Up next, more with Grossbeck. Stick around, will you? Please. You're listening to the Bloomberg Business of Sports, Bloomberg Radio around the world. Success is more than the final destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's discipline. It's teamwork. And it's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel's become one of the fastest growing wealth management and investment banking firms in the country. Our financial advisors go beyond traditional wealth management to provide clients with direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises and a leading middle market investment bank because success is the drive it takes to keep climbing, the passion to keep investing, the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common... It's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Thanks for joining us on the Bloomberg Business of Sports show, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr. Scarlett Poo and Damian Sassauer, we're listening in on a conversation from earlier this week from the Greenwich Economic Forum with Boston Celtics lead owner Wick Grossbeck. Damian was at the site with him, too. Let's dive back into that conversation. Now, Wick, tell us a little bit more about what you and Amelia have been up to in your spare time through the COVID crisis. Talk to us about extended family. Tell us a little <laughs> bit about what's going on there and what we can look forward to. Oh my gosh. Uh, uh, thanks for asking. Well, Amelia and her ex, George, 
who's a terrific guy, a Boston guy. Also a Bloomberg. Also a Bloomberg alum uh, for many years, a couple decades at Bloomberg, George Gear. Uh, Emilia and George uh, had a very amicable, had a great relationship, raised two great kids, but ended up very amicably saying, let's just go our separate ways after 19 years. And there's nothing necessarily funny about that, uh, but we turned it into a sitcom because I showed up a couple of years later um, as the Celtics lead owner and George's head, I think, exploded because he's the biggest Boston sports fan on the planet. And that's saying something. And so that whole interplay of the three of us kind of sharing actually the old family home down in New York, switching in and out while the kids, younger kids that they have stay put in their bedrooms called nesting. We could have called the show The Nest, but we called it Extended Family and we sold it. We wrote it up because we thought it was a sitcom idea and we co-created it and sold it to NBC. And we're now all three executive producers of an NBC sitcom that's in the middle of being filmed. Holy smokes! I, I had, I'm sorry, I had no clue that 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 caught me off guard. Well, congratulations for that. There hasn't been any publicity yet, um, but the NBC has picked up and ordered the entire show. NBC and Lionsgate, uh, 13 episodes, and and so we've got seven more to film, and then we're going to be on Tuesday nights in NBC in the spring. Is the current plan? Well, speaking of. TV shows or shows, nothing's really on TV anymore tied to sports. I, I want to get your impression on, on winning time because it was supposed to be about the Lakers, right? And um, the rise of the Lakers, yet the, the the show was cut short to just two seasons and it ends with the Celtics uh, winning the NBA Finals in 1984. What was your impression of how that show depicted your franchise? Do you have... Well, I, I, yeah. Do you Sorry, walk away Scarlett. with concerns or are you happy with uh, the perception that it's given? It was a little bit, uh, there, were, there was very good intentions. I think there were a few caricatures. I knew Red Auerbach really well, uh, not to drop the name, but just to tell you the truth, I brought him back. He had been let go as the team president of the Celtics. And the first thing I did when I came in with my partners is hire him back as team president and got to work with him for five years before he passed. So Red was wonderful. He, his fire and determination came through some of the other stuff I wasn't sure was quite uh, you know, 100% spot on. But the I love the fact that the second season of Winning Time showed the Celtics winning two championships and <laughs> ended with 84. And then they canceled the show. I think all the Lakers fans were so bummed. Maybe they weren't watching it and they just said the heck with this and they pulled the plug. So I think it ended at the perfect time. So Wick, you mentioned Red Hour back. I'm wondering, you know, what what's, I mean, this is, this is probably the most successful president of any sports franchise pretty much across the major sports in history. I mean, I don't know how many championships he won, but he won a lot in a very limited period of time. You know, what's the best advice that Michael Schickless, I'm sorry, I mean, Red Auerbach gave uh, you, uh, um, you know, <laughs> in your time together. Yeah, it was just do, you know, if you ever wonder what to do, just look inside and just figure out what's the best thing for the Celtics. You know, what does Celtic pride mean to you? And, and make your decision based on that. So what I try to do when I'm making a decision, like recently with this trade and everything else, I just try to think what Red would have done. I'm certainly not Red Auerbach, and that's not what I'm trying to say. But being inspired by the 16 championships he won uh, and having our 17th championship that we won then five or six years later, a year after he died, his, we've engraved his signature on the inside of our rings so that he's involved in all 17. And if we ever win another one, he'll be involved in that as well. I mean, he just means everything. Uh, he and Bill Russell and the other greats who built the team um, are inspirational. And it, it's relatively easy to make the decisions that I have to make because I, I I keep it simple. What would be the best thing? You know, what would Red say if I did this? I want to talk about uh, the Celtics heart 
and you guys have a lot of because you guys have done a lot of charitable work. Uh, a lot of the Celtics players they go out uh, and they make personal community appearances. Uh, it, can you tell us about that? I mean that that is something I think not only the NBA but all sports should do and and have the players go out in the community and and just relate to everybody. Just if anything, it, it will help make the players more relatable. Well, I agree. And I, I do have good news on that front. Um, the Celtics are by no means alone. Every team in Boston mm-hmm. does it, but really every team across, uh, you know, the NFL, major league baseball, hockey and basketball does it as well. So we are among many, many teams, all mm-hmm. the teams really making an effort in the community. The Celtics take it particularly personally. We help 1500 charities a year in our community and internationally. And then, and some of that's just with tickets. Others are with player appearances and um and it you know going to hospitals going to schools um the nba has programs we have a number of social justice initiatives we have one of the celtics called celtics united we've committed 25 million dollars to as an ownership group uh just to get started uh we take it very seriously we're not alone but i appreciate your mentioning it and we take it um we it's part of being a celtic and um and the players know that and the players embrace it and really actually drive us forward yeah, the team is such a part of the community and part of the city that 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 goodwill is is such a core part of the team's identity and of the city's identity, really. Um, Wick, I, I want to go back to um, what you were saying earlier about how um, some people who own teams do it for the love of the team, for their their passion for the team, and for their passion for the city and giving back to the city. You're part of you're kind of at the front end, front edge of this new generation of owners of professional sports teams. And from your perspective, how do former players like Michael Jordan or Magic Johnson, how do they differ as owners from, say, PE investors or independently wealthy families and how they look at owning a team, um, how they consider spending, valuations, all of that? How, how do they differ in how they operate? Yeah, we... It's great to have former great players like Michael, who until recently owned the Hornets um, and is a a great person, you know, and Magic Johnson uh, be in ownership. It it just adds credibility, authenticity and knowledge, uh, you know, specialized intelligence to the ownership group. Um, So I'm all in favor of that. Um, I just believe the group or the single person, whatever, whoever owns the team has to be authentically fans and do what's right for the team and not be running this for the bottom line. The bottom line will take care of itself, um, but you can't run this primarily for a profit. And if you do, the fans will figure it out and the players will figure it out and it'll actually kind of spiral down. So the, the way to, in my opinion, I'm sorry to give the lecture to anybody out there that <laughs> doesn't want a lecture right this minute, but my opinion is if you're going to own one of these teams, this is, a, as you said, a community asset and it is for certain purposes on and off the court. Um, and then, you know, hopefully you don't go broke doing it. You know, you can pay the bills, but but that's got to be down the list. And if you if you can't do that, um, it's going to be a difficult road. Look, I just have one more question for you. You know, you know, we laugh, we talk about winning time. You know, you think about, you know, Michael Jordan, you know, sipping his tequila when, you know, um, you know, for his special, um, you think about the captain with Derek Jeter. What stories have not yet been told? I mean, I, I, as it relates to not just the NBA, but sports more broadly, I mean, have 
you know, have we just bludgeoned every story that's out there? What what stories have not yet been told that you'd like people to tell, you know, on TV, movies, or elsewhere? Well, we've got that. This was not a plant, but we have a ten-part uh, series coming out on a major uh, with a major media partner that we're filming right now, and they've got cameras with us all year this year. Um, but we're the, the Celtic story really hasn't been told to the extent that the Lakers have been, and we're going to. Uh, we're not going to end with a Lakers victory. There haven't been very many over the Celtics. <laughs> they did beat us in 2010. I will say that. Uh, and but other than that, um, but we're excited about that. I I don't know what else to say, but I appreciate you asking. Dang, Wick! I didn't know Chuck Woolery was going to be out there with you, man, at the conference, man. <laughs> you, <laughs> you was, oh man, I I, have, I salute you by the way with the tequila story because if I tried that with Scarlett and Damien, it <laughs> I'd it'd be some crazy talk, man. It's like, that's right, they should put laces back on the basketball, man. <laughs> it was a good game. Oh, man, Wick Grossbeck, you have been so kind. Lead owner and governor of the Boston Celtics. Thank you so much, sir, for joining us on the Bloomberg Business of Sports. Thank you all for having me. I appreciate it. Special thanks to Wick Grossbeck, lead owner and governor of the Boston Celtics, for joining us while he and Damian were at the Greenwich Economic Forum. Up next on the show, we head to the racetrack. <laughs> hey, we hear from Lawrence Stroll, part owner and executive chairman of Aston Martin and owner of the Aston Martin F1 team. You know I'm going to like that. That's straight ahead on the Bloomberg Business of Sports, Bloomberg Radio around the world. Hi, I'm Ron Krzyzewski, chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. 
You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Thanks for joining us for the Bloomberg Business of Sports show, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. I'm Michael Barr for Scarlett Foo and Damian Sassauer. Things are looking up for Aston Martin, and according to Executive Chairman Lawrence Stroll, part of the reason why is the decision to double down on racing. The luxury car maker joined Formula One and has more plans to send their supercars onto the racetrack. He talked about how racing is helping the brand appeal to a younger customer base and more with host Guy Johnson and Alex Steele from the AMR Technology Campus in the UK, seated in front of one of his newest supercars. Let's hear a portion of their conversation. So that car behind you, that's a Valkyrie, right? And it's going to be in Le Mans. Correct. What do you get by being in Le Mans? <laughs> yes. what's, what, what, what's the deal for you? Well, it's a hugely commercial beneficial event for the company. One, you, you, you have millions of viewers around the globe watching these cars, not only in Le Mans, but it's also in America, at IMSA, at Daytona, at Sebring, at very historic tracks around the world. This is our customer base. You know, we sell these cars at a, at a, at a substantial profit. It's great marketing to see us go around to Le Mans, go around to Sebring, go around to Daytona. Millions and millions of viewers. It's extremely aspirational and has a trickle-down effect over the whole brand, the halo effect. Does the, it's, it's a different market, therefore, by the sounds of things, Lawrence, to, to F1. How, how are you seeing the F1 story yes. developing from here, and what benefit do you see coming from that over the next few seasons? The, the, the number of teams looks like it's going to be increasing. Uh, how, how do you feel about that? What do you see the opportunity in Formula One is... Kind of just give it, just give us a sense of how you think that brand is going to develop for you, as we see maybe more teams coming in. Uh, Formula One has truly transformed Aston Martin. It's introduced us to a much younger customer base. We have data showing 50% of the consumers today buying our product were not Aston Martin customers before seeing us in Formula One. So it's transformed us at the highest echelon of technology in automotive, at the highest luxury in automotive, which is very much our client base. Uh, So Formula One has really been transformative for us as a marketing tool. Also, again, we we are bringing performance to Aston Martin, technology performance. There's no better better performance, though greater performance than, than Formula One. So for us, yeah. it's just but been does, absolutely Lawrence, fantastic. That, and our largest market, affect, our largest market being America, get, you know, with now three races yeah. being held there. Does that effect now get diluted, though? More teams come in. Andretti comes in. You, you, you've seen the effect I, I don't, I and don't, the dramatic I, effect I, that I, it's I, had on your business. Yeah, but by the way, Andretti has been approved by the FIA, which is one of two of the bodies that have to approve their entry. The second is FOM, who has not approved their entry. So Andretti is far from entering Formula One. But if he does, same kind of question. Are, are, are you worried there's going to be too many cooks in that F1 kitchen? I think that F1's in a great place with 10 teams, and I have a very strong suspicion it will remain 10 teams. Hmm. Okay, that's interesting. interesting. Lawrence, you're at the new campus. How big an advantage does it give you? Oh, it's, 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 uh, it's enormous. 
That's Aston Martin Executive Chairman and Aston F1 team owner Lawrence Stroll speaking with our colleagues Alex Steele and Guy Johnson. You can hear that full conversation right now on the Bloomberg Talks podcast. Find that on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Bloomberg Business of Sports Show. We're here each and every week at the same time, plus online wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Michael Barr on X. I have to have it written down now because I'm old. On X at Big Bar Sports. And you can follow me on X. I still can't get over saying X. It's still Twitter to me. Yeah. You know, anyway, yeah. I'm at Scarlet Foe. And I'm on X at DSASO. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Tune in again next week for the latest on the stories moving big old money in the world of sports. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports, Bloomberg Radio around the world. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.